0: At least once a week, I'll have tears come to my eyes because a patient will tell me that they ate for the first time in five years or they like had, ate
1: anything or ate just
0: food through their mouth. Wow. Yeah. They've been using tube feeds for years and years.
1: This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg and my guest is Apoorva Ramaswamy. Aporva is an assistant professor in the division of head and neck surgery at the James, and she specializes in treating patients with dysphagia, which is swallowing problems caused by the surgery and treatments for their head and neck cancer. Apurva serves on the Medical Advisory Board of the National Foundation of Swallow Disorders, and she is on multiple committees of the Dysphagia Research Society. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you and learn about dysphagia, which I've heard about, and I actually know someone who had that problem. I'll, I'll, I will I'll, think I'll ask you about him later. okay. Not that you'll know him, but... I'm always curious, what got you into medicine and your particular area of medicine?
0: Yeah, so I grew up around medicine. My father uh, is actually a prostate cancer surgeon, and he absolutely loved what he does, loves what he does, and he's been an inspiration to me and just kind of drew me to the field.
1: Wow, so where did you grow up?
0: We grew up qu- Kind of all over the United States, um, but uh, most recently, my parents are in New York, and I did a lot of my training on the East Coast.
1: Oh, okay. So, what got you specifically into head and neck surgery? You know.
0: The head and neck is really how we interact with the world. It's how we, how people see us, it's how we speak, it's how we eat, it's how we interact with the people we love. And so, in my opinion, it's ex- uh, probably <laughs> the most important and uh, I love being able to help people with it.
1: So you went with the most important part of the body.
0: Uh, I like okay. to think so, <laughs> <laughs> right. but don't we all?
1: <laughs> so, head and neck cancer, what exactly is that and then, how does that lead to dysphagia?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, theoretically, head and neck cancer can happen anywhere on our head and neck. It could happen on your skin. It can happen in your nose, throat, mouth, lips, anywhere. Uh, but a lot of it happens on the inside, in our throat, in our mouth, um, and on our vocal cords. And so, a lot of the can- this cancer affects people's ability to swallow just at baseline because these are all the organs with which we eat. And then add on top of that, any surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy that might actually go to treat it will be targeted to this area. And so the swallowing issues often compound in these patients.
1: So is that how people first have symptoms where they might have a swallowing problem because of some sort of tumor growing in their head and neck?
0: It, it often is, although sometimes people might notice that their voice is changing. Some people might notice pain. Sometimes it takes a screening test to really figure it out.
1: And it's pretty common type of cancer, isn't it?
0: Well, I think among the all cancers, it's um, not extremely common. Certainly, breast and prostate and colorectal are more uh, common, but it is increasing, uh, partially due to the HPV epidemic.
1: Right. I think that's why I thought it was a fairly common one because it's of HPV. Unfortunately,
0: becoming more common.
1: Yeah, and and smoking. Is another problem.
0: Yes. Thankfully, that those rates are going down uh, because that's, of all of our public health efforts.
1: Now, that was great. You just gave great overview. And this actually, the cancer aspect of it is not your exact specialty, right?
0: No. I, people come to me once they've been treated for the cancer, most of the time, and they're having swallowing problems afterwards. And that's really where I seek to help them.
1: But you also do surgery. Head and neck surgery for people who don't have cancer, right?
0: I do. I do. So, swallowing problems can occur in patients who've never had cancer. And so, I do those treat those problems as well. And, you know, surgery and medicines are involved in all of those.
1: So, you're a head and neck. Surgeon who doesn't necessarily perform surgery on people with cancer, you do it for people with other head and neck swallowing problems, but swallowing problems, which are called dysphagia, that's your area of expertise. So cancer patients who've been operated on by a head and neck cancer specialist will then refer their patients to you.
0: Exactly, exactly. And because I am at the James, about 80% of my practice is patients who've had head and neck cancer and swallowing problems after that so it's definitely the bulk of my practice
1: how did you develop that subspecialty within head and neck surgery
0: that's a great question um you know this is actually a pretty new field treating dysphagia in general um they i was lucky to train with people who kind of were are the titans in the field and invented it in a lot of ways and so I was able to train with them and my passion is treating patients with head and neck cancer so I was able to bring that here to OSU and at the James and we were able to set up this kind of program.
1: So that's a great example of how surgery can create problems and you decided that that's not okay I'm gonna learn how to fix the problems that the life-saving surgery creates.
0: Yeah, surgery and often these patients never even had surgery, sometimes it's just the radiation yeah, alone. Yeah, that's true. I it's forget a combination the, yeah. of our treatments in general which are life-saving and amazing miracles, but they can cause side effects long-term and thankfully our patients are living for decades. And so the sooner the better we address their quality of life issues, the sooner they're able to enjoy their life.
1: So before we start talking about how you treat it, why don't you give us a fuller explanation of dysphagia, sort of what the symptoms are, what causes it, like what things are removed Mm -hmm. from during surgery or what radiation does. And I keep pointing in here because that's all where it is, right?
0: Yeah. Um, So dysphagia is the symptom, the feeling of having difficulty with swallowing. So that could come from anything with a sore on your lip all the way down to something in your stomach. All of these things can cause issues with your swallowing. And dysphagia is kind of an all-encompassing kind of description of swallowing problems that a patient might feel.
1: So not just cancer patients, anyone anyone with a swallowing problem.
0: Exactly. And now more specifically, head and neck cancer patients, again, The types of ways you feel dysphagia are affected by the type of cancer you had and the types of treatments you had. So if a patient had lip cancer and just needed a part of their lip removed, sometimes they have trouble with using straws. Sometimes they have difficulty drinking from a cup. Sometimes they have difficulty keeping liquids in their mouth. Whereas what's probably the most common thing I treat is what we call oropharyngeal Dysphagia, which is dis- difficulty swallowing due to the structures of the mouth and throat, oropharyngeal.
1: The structures have changed.
0: They have changed or their function is affected. So most commonly what we see is people develop fibrosis after radiation and so there is scarring to the structures the muscles are scarred the the lining of the uh, tissues instead of being smooth and well lubricated it becomes rough and immobile meaning that food you have to work harder to push the food down and the muscles are weaker so you're trying to push with weaker muscles against a tougher resistance. So it's a combination of all these factors that cause the difficulties in swallowing that our patients face.
1: So where in the mouth and in the throat do these things are these things most common when you're talking about the the things that happen?
0: I think one of the things I've discovered from treating these patients day in and day out is that pretty much every structure is affected and structures that we did not realize were affected are also affected. So what i mean to say is you know in the if we look in the literature there's not that much about how much esophageal problems patients who had head and neck cancer actually deal with. And one of our subjects of research is actually looking at how the soft palate is actually very much affected by our treatments. Even if a patient did not have cancer on the soft palate, a lot of them are having issues with that function, meaning that they're having liquids and food coming up their nose, which is both painful and difficult um, while they're trying to eat. And it changes their speech as well. So I think what we're realizing is that there are many different problems, and thankfully, there's many different ways that we can help improve patients' outcomes by really understanding what is happening to each one and then treating it one by one.
1: One thing you said, which I don't think I know, I feel like I should know, but what is the soft ballot?
0: Yeah. So if you open your mouth really wide and look in the back and you see the, your uvula right. the, hanging down, that's all part of your soft palate.
1: Okay. And it, because it's soft, is that why it's called that? Or
0: exactly. So there's the hard palate, which is the bone. When you put your hand, finger in your, the top of your roof of your, your, mouth. Roof of your okay. mouth, that's the hard palate. Ah,
1: For the back that is the, soft, is the palate. soft palate. Exactly. And what does the uvula uvula do?
0: You know, um, <laughs> it's unclear exactly what it does. We can't, ask evolution or God, but we what we do think is that it helps direct the mucus from our nose and um, down into our throat so that it doesn't get stuck there.
1: Wow. So it's interesting. A lot of things have to go on in your mouth correctly for things to go down to be swallowed properly.
0: Exactly. And exactly. one
1: little thing can get messed up and you're going to have problems.
0: And usually it's actually every single thing is affected And so my goal is to see what are all the little things that I can tweak in a low risk way to make the patient's outcome better.
1: Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about what you do to make things better. Great. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health wellness science and research topics all from the ohio state experts you can trust we're tapping into physicians scientists and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals society and the world Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Apoorva Ramaswamy, an expert in head and neck surgery and dysphagia. And so you gave us a lot of the background about what causes it. And now let's talk about how you treat it, how you can help people swallow better, which, gosh, when you think about it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it must be really frustrating and difficult and could lead to nutrition problems.
0: Exactly. So it is, if you think about it, every time we spend time with our family, it's usually in front of a meal. And right now it's almost Christmas time. And a lot of it, it's what cookies and roast or whatever you're going to eat. People are looking forward to it. So actually, this is my busy time of the year because everyone wants to spend time with their families and wants to be able to eat because that's so essential. Um, and to go back to your original question, which is, how do we treat it? It really depends on what is happening for each patient. And one of the aspects about our the James that I love is that we have a wonderful team of swallow therapists who are specialized in dysphagia in head and neck cancer patients. So that's extremely unique, and I've worked in a lot of places that are excellent places, but I have never worked with such an amazing team and large team of swallow therapists. And why that's important is because every single person is different. Even someone who has had the same surgery, same radiation doses will be differently affected by the treatment. And because so, everyone's
1: mouth is different.
0: <laughs> everyone's yes, everyone's anatomy is different every the way their tissues respond to radiation are different their way they um their bodies heal are different and so they're able to really do excellent swallow studies that then i'm able to use to understand what things i can do as a surgeon to help with the anatomy um so that might be something like do it If they are having issues with their lips where they can't close their mouth around a straw or they're having liquid coming out of their mouth, I might even just do a little lip filler. Um, A lot of patients will, as I mentioned earlier, have issues with their soft palate with liquid and food coming up into their nose. And so we can do procedures to help with that. And that's actually a quick 10-minute procedure that I can do in clinic that can really help with that.
1: What what do you actually do? Is there' something missing in the soft palate that allows food to, and drink water to go up there? or
0: sometimes uh, sometimes it's just uh, sometimes there was surgery done to remove part of the soft palate. But more commonly, after radiation, we're finding that patients develop scarring and atrophy, so thinning of those muscles. And so by plumping it up, by injecting filler there in the back of the throat, where it meets the soft palate, we're able to get closure so that that door, that gateway is not open anymore. You're
1: increasing the size of it through filler.
0: Exactly.
1: What is that filler, what material?
0: So there's a few uh, that we can use, but the most common one that I use is something called calcium hydroxyl apatite um that we use in this particular structure and sometimes also in the vocal cords
1: calcium hydroxide appetite
0: exactly there's uh, different brands that make co- co- produce it because
1: it helps your appetite
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the name of the molecule <laughs> uh, oh it's an actual
1: molecule <laughs> hydroxyl
0: appetite is a, a yeah, molecule is a oh, okay. yeah All compound
1: <laughs> right. All right. what's another thing you do
0: um so moving down, we can do things for the vocal cords. So a lot of times if someone's vocal cords are have gotten thinner through the course of radiation or their cancer, cancer has caused one of their nerves to stop working, we can actually use, again, filler to plump up the vocal cords so that, again, those vocal cords are able to meet, allowing someone to have a strong cough and to prevent things from going down into the lungs. Again, that's the most dangerous part of dysphagia. You know, we think about it as being quality of life, but the most important thing is prevention of pneumonia and facilitating good nutrition.
1: Okay. Wait, I, w- I want to understand what could cause pneumonia and, and even worse? Yeah. It, is, is just things, swallowing things that are too big or...
0: Yeah, it's usually not things that are too big, but rather not being able to control what you swallow. So patients often either lose the sensation of the inside of their throat or because of the ways that Radiation and surgery have affected their throat, they're not able to control the food well. So sometimes it will slip into through the vocal cords into the trachea and lungs oh, instead of going down into okay. the esophagus. Oh,
1: yeah, when you, that thing where you say, oh, it went down the wrong tube.
0: Yes. That happens
1: to them, can happen to them all the time.
0: Much more frequently. And it it's can be actually dangerous. 30% of patients uh, after head and neck cancer treatment, once we've treated them successfully within the first 10 years, they'll. One study has shown that 30% will go on to develop some type of aspiration pneumonia. Oh, so it's okay. very common yeah. and it's very dangerous in fact because um, that can be, uh, it, it can cause you to die because of the pneumonia. So it's not just uh, something, it's a nice to have, it's actually something very important.
1: Necessary. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. What's another thing you do? Now, now, before you do, I'm getting the sense that in many ways this is plastic surgery. Or reconstructive surgery, because you're... uh,
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to categorize, because this is about fixing structures, so often that is the role that plastic and reconstructive surgery plays, Um, but because of the way, the structures that I'm doing it on in the throat, um, it's not just... You know, that they use different techniques. Um, so, yes, filler is something that plastic surgeons and dermatologists might use, but I also do dilations and treatment of stomach disorders and esophageal disorders, which goes almost towards what a uh, GI doctor might do. So it's a big mix of different things all in the service of this one problem.
1: Okay. So before I got us off topic with that question, you were about to give us a couple more examples of yeah. things you do. So
0: working down from we went we were at the vocal cords. Um,
1: Down, meaning through the GI system? Through
0: through the whole aerodigestive tract. Um, we also do procedures in the esophagus. And I mentioned a little bit of dilations. One of the most common things that occur after radiation is a stricture, which is narrowing and scarring of the top of the esophagus. And so doing dilations, stretching that area is very often very helpful for our head and neck cancer patients, and it's probably the most common thing that I do.
1: How do you stretch it?
0: We use balloons. So I use a small camera that actually I can go through the nose and down into the stomach, and we're able to use that to diagnose any other issues that a patient might have. So often what we found is a lot of patients with head and neck cancer also have some component of acid reflux and often it's what we call silent reflux because they don't feel the heartburn so I'm able to diagnose that with the scope then once we've looked at everything I find the area that's narrow and I use a balloon to stretch it and this is all done under sedation so no general anesthesia which is a huge plus especially for our head and neck cancer patients who often have anatomic issues that make them very difficult to intubate or put under general anesthesia
1: Wow, so give me a sense, when you say you put a balloon in, how big is that tube, What, and then how much do you have to make it bigger? Like, how big of a balloon are you talking, like the size of a thumb or that's a great question and
0: actually one of the innovations of my mentor and something um, is actually understanding how big we can go it traditionally we used to think that the maximum was about this big so two centimeters a little about an inch but we're realizing that the opening of the esophagus is almost like a funnel so it's actually almost two times as big so it's a Four centimeters or almost two, a little ah. under two inches. So by giving that extra stretch with the balloons up at the top of the esophagus, and the technique that we use with the balloons, actually allows us to really focus our stretch in that area where it's the the widest. We are able to get better outcomes for our our head and neck cancer patients.
1: So once you inflate the balloon, mm-hmm. and it by the inflation causes everything around it get get bigger. What makes it stay big once the balloon is removed
0: that is such a good question it's uh, kind of something that we deal with a lot for our patients where we're able to get them to their goal size their stretch and unfortunately at some point they will usually need another stretch my goal is for that to be an annual or less frequent thing but for some patients it has to be more frequent in order to keep their um, best outcomes
1: and will they know it what when they when it starts to, to shrink again? What how will it impact them? And they're going to say, uh oh, it's time to go back.
0: They'll usually the first thing they start noticing is breads and meats have a hard time going down. Then they might start coughing more with other foods. Sometimes rice or other crumbly foods give them big more issues, and that's when they start thinking, oh, I got to go in. We call it a little tune-up.
1: Okay. <laughs> Is there anything else further down the system? You said something in the stomach.
0: Yeah. So actually, even further down in the esophagus, what we've been recognizing is that esophageal motility or the actual movement of the squeezing motion of the esophagus is very commonly affected in our head and neck cancer patients. And so one of the things that we've been doing more and more is treating those issues and those, depending on what it is, can have, it can be just a medication or it might mean Botox or another stretch to treat those issues. And then there's the stomach. Um, which also can have issues. We're finding that patients will have, again, sim- similarly to how they have issues with the motion of their esophagus, they can have motion issues with their stomach motion and the digestion that occurs in the stomach.
1: So their treatment, their surgery and radiation, is much higher in their head and neck, mm-hmm. but it impacts all the way down to the stomach, which is a foot and a half below. Yeah. So that's you know, system-wide
0: It really does affect a lot. Um, The nerves that control our stomach, our esophagus, and even our blood pressure are all here in the neck. So a lot of patients will have issues throughout their body after these treatment for these cancers.
1: It impacts your blood pressure. How does that manifest itself?
0: So a lot of my patients, particularly the ones who have issues enough that they're having swallowing disorders will also have blood pressure problems where they don't just have low blood pressure or high blood pressure. It's just it hard to control. It. It's hard, and, and that's partially because the body's sensors for its blood pressure are affected by the radiation.
1: Wow. So the, the person I met who who I who had head and neck surgery, it was pretty extensive surgery. He had problems producing saliva, mm. which made it hard to swallow. So we were talking about what was he going to do during Pelotonia. He was going to bravely ride 100 miles.
0: That's amazing. And
1: it would be hard to eat food. Yeah. And, although he says sometimes like when he eats peanut butter and jelly, he'll put water in with it. But we came up with a plan. He would get bottles of Ensure, so he'd get a lot of nutrition. But is that that is that another problem producing saliva that, in in turn, makes it hard to swallow things because everything's so dry.
0: It's extremely common. Extremely extremely common. Um, We usually think of the saliva as just being one liquid that our mouth produces, but it's actually made by different glands, and each gland has its own expertise. One gland will make the thick saliva with lots of enzymes. Other glands will make the thin, watery parts, and it mixes together in our mouths to make what we think of as saliva. Unfortunately, we find that a lot of our patients who've gone through the radiation have a lot of issue with that thin, watery saliva.
1: Uh, So everything's thicker.
0: Everything is thicker, and then they have a lot more difficulty getting the lubrication to push things down. And unfortunately, we haven't, there are some medications and things we can try, uh, but unfortunately, there's been nothing that's been really wonderful in fixing this problem. So, fixing would be
1: able to produce more of the thinner, more liquidy saliva. Yes. So, and to compensate, people will just eat, eat more liquidy things or just put water with as they chew?
0: Exactly. So between chews, they'll take a sip of water to again help lubricate. And that's partly why it's so important for us to do the procedures and the strengthening exercises that the swallow therapists do. And is because there's so much more resistance because of all of this that they need to be strong and have as little, so if they even have a little bit of scarring, I want to get rid of all of it because I want to make it as easy as possible for things to go down. Okay, so
1: they already have the saliva problem. Let's not add to it by the scarring or exactly. hard to swallow
0: problems. We fix the things so, that we can fix yeah. um, to give them as good of a quality of life and outcome as is possible.
1: So there you go. The out best quality of life, that that's what your job is all about mm-hmm. is you give people better quality of life. That must be kind of rewarding.
0: It's extremely rewarding. You know, at, at least once a week I'll have tears come to my eyes because a patient will tell me that they ate for the first time in five years. Or they ate
1: anything or just
0: food through their mouth. Wow. Yeah. They've been using tube feeds for years and years. And so it's so amazing that I I had a patient recently who was able to eat her first Snickers candy (laughs) bar in, in five years uh, at this past Halloween. And she was so happy. And, um, it's just, it really means a lot. I feel very lucky.
1: So, does that mean in some cases you're working with a patient for months and years to get them where they need to go? Yes. So, it, you you develop pretty close relationships with your patients.
0: And in a lot of ways, this is a lifelong relationship afterwards because you know their swallowing problems never go away. We just treat them as they come up and treat what we can address. So, it's really that we are working together for forever. Wow, so
1: <laughs> it, it, like every, you see them every year or as problems arise or both? It's a
0: combination, or, combination, yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. Is there anything new techno- technology-wise or clinical trial or medication or treatment-wise that, that's going to be a game changer to make either the surgery or radiation better or to give you more tools to do what you do so well?
0: Yes to everything you just <laughs> okay, said. Because it. thankfully, there is so much happening um, in terms of the treatment side. Uh, we are working with our radiation oncologists. we're working with our, those surgeons who treat the cancer to, based on what I see, then go back and fix what we can uh, do, fix in terms of the treatment side to prevent these things from ever happening, if that's possible. And then, in terms of the treatments, We have multiple trials going on and multiple grants that we're working on to help treat all of the different issues we are encountering. Because since I am focused almost entirely on this one problem, there are so many ways that we can improve that just haven't been addressed because no one's really looked at them systematically. So it's an exciting time and definitely a lot going on.
1: Yeah, that seems to be a a trend in that for years scientists and physicians were so focused on just curing the cancer and now that there's been so many improvements in that side of it the quality of life side is really exploding in terms of research and treatments and clinical trials
0: that is exactly it that's very true um and you know we're lucky to be in the position where we are where our patients are living longer and uh can tell us about these other issues and then we can further perfect our our craft and our treatments.
1: Yeah. And, and everything you said has made me remember and r- realize just how important eating is. It's such a enjoyable thing that's part of life. And in what you said, it's part of family celebrations it and really is. to not be part of that for some people is terrible. And you're allowing, allowing people to be part of that again.
0: Yeah. It's a very special thing to be able to do.
1: Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing all this great information.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solove Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.